This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Okay. So being a teacher at Chase, students, when they like something, they bring a bunch of stuff to you. So it might be like a joke. It might be a riddle. It might be something that's sort of outrageous. So a while ago, somebody brought this to me. Some kid brought this to me. And this happened in a church. So they said, Mr. Borges, you're going to like this. This happened in the church. And what it is, it's like a meme. It actually became a remix. It's a song. It's everything. It's a gif or gif, whatever, however you say that. It's become everything. And basically, it's a lady. She starts out and she kind of goes like this, like really, like overtly, like she's looking for something, right? So then she says, look, and then she goes on to proceed to say this. And she kind of like counting them out. She says, I got green. I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, ram, hogs, dogs, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rabbit, you name it. That's how it goes, but much better. But that's how it goes. And they put a beat on it, and I'm telling you, if you listen to it, you will dance. It just makes you dance. It's really good shower music in case any of you all are lacking in your shower music. So the kids showed me this, and I'm just like, that's just the funniest thing in the world and they're right like it's a it's a lady saying it and there's a big old choir behind her and there's a bunch of people in the audience so then I said well let me you know let me go do some research on this thing so turns out that that part of what gets shown is just a piece of what is actually like this amazing story so I don't know if if any of you all never heard it so she's talking about the person that says this She's talking about someone named Dancing John. That's what she calls him. And she said Dancing John was a person who did not know the Lord, but God saved him and God blessed him greatly. And he he had a whole life that was changed. And as his life was changed, he wanted to go to a church. So he stepped into this church. But the people in that church, you know, they just kind of sang songs. They didn't move too much or things like that. But John had been blessed so much. Dancing John had been blessed so much that whenever they just played just a regular song, he'd be dancing and screaming and doing all this stuff. So then he'd been doing this for about two, three weeks. And then, uh, you know, the pastors, the elders, the deacon board, everybody got together. And they're saying, we got to do something about this dancing John. He's just still in the show. He's just dancing, jumping all around. We don't even know what to do. And the rest of us feeling kind of guilty. We just sit in our seat. You know, we just do our thing. And so they decided they're going to go to his house and have a meeting with him. So dancing John, he can hear him pulling up. And he comes to the door. And he says, I already know why you all are here. And they're just like, what? He's like, I already know why you all are here. And they, and he, and, and they say, what, what are you talking about? How do you know? He says, you guys are saying I've been dancing too much. I act too crazy in church. And they're just like, yeah, that's exactly why we're here. Mm-hmm. You do too much. <laughs> and then he goes, and that's when he says, look. So he's trying to tell them, look at all these things God has blessed me with. I didn't know God before. God has saved me. And look what he's given me. And then he begins to show them his farm and his animals and names all these different things. And so 
when John, Dancer John realizes all that God has done for him, he can't help but to do this and to say this. And he says, you name it, anything, God did it for him. Isn't that amazing? How many of you all know that's our story too, right? Did the same thing for us. Anything you name, he did it. In our series, if you remember the people that Nehemiah was coming into, that he was going to be with, and he was going to lead. In the beginning, it was really down and out, guys. But we know that since then, the wall has been built. The gates have been settled. The people have begun to take part in the feasts and, and, and things that they hadn't done in a long time. All these things are starting to come together. And God made all of that stuff happen. And just like Dan and John, they're coming to a point where they're confessing their sin and they just want to give thanks to God. They want to give thanks to God for all that he has done. Last week, we looked at Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3. And I want you all to focus on some parts in terms of what we heard from Dan and John here. He said, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. God had done all this stuff, and right away they turned to confession. And through confession, and through worshiping, and through thinking about what God has done, we see that they can't just help but be super excited. They can't just be, they just can't help but to not praise the Lord. The people of Israel began to remember and they start to think all about all the stuff God has done for them. A clear picture begins to form. Today we're going to be looking at how they start to remember. And hopefully the challenge is is for us to think about remembering as well. Because sometimes we're in our position that we're in and we don't remember. But you will see that in their actions they will remember. They will remember all that God has done. Pray with me, and then we're going to jump into today's text. Lord, we thank you how you provide for everything we need, Lord, how you provide for us, how you care for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would help us to dive into the text and see what you did here, Lord, and see the hearts of these people and see their remembrance, Lord. See this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Nehemiah 5. Verses 5 and 6, we're going to take this in three chunks. says, Then the Levites, Jeshua, Jeshua, Kedmael, Benai, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethathiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Just a quick side note. You know when you got tough words in the Bible, if you ever want help reading those, if you go to one of the uh, sites or, or um, 
uh, apps that reads it. Let, let them read it first, and then you just copy. It's just hard to remember. But that's how I try to sound like I know them, but I really don't. I'm just trying to remember what I heard on the app. So just let you all know that. Um, if you all notice, the Levites, those are the people that are named there. The Levites led them in worship. And I like what Kerwin's been saying about why we gather, why are there sermons. Notice that the Levites are spiritual leaders to these people. And they get up and they lead them in this time of worship. They encourage them to worship. And I want to let you all know that that's, you know, that's the job of anyone that kind of comes up here. And that's the job of almost even us when we greet each other, right? That we encourage each other to worship. But the people that come up front, God has chosen us to be spiritual leaders here. And we pray that you guys would pray for us and we hope we pray for you all. And we just want to be spiritually that encourage you to come and praise God. Now, when when we started this, we broke this up into three chunks. But you're going to see that this whole section is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. If you were if you read it all the way through, it takes about six and a half minutes. And I just want to tell you all that because just a quick, quick point is that the longest prayer recorded in the Bible is about six and a half minutes. So that says something about uh, about prayer, right? Because I think a lot of times some of us feel like when we pray, uh, it's maybe not long enough, not, not short enough. It's, you know, some of us struggle with going too long. But just know that, you know, the Bible doesn't have this super, super. We do have a whole book of prayers. That's the biggest book in the Bible. But prayers come in different shapes and sizes. So tradition says that Ezra prayed this prayer. And I want you to all know that one of the first things they did is they encouraged them to stand. And that word stand, when people stand, it means that they agree. So when you like stand and worship, you're agreeing with what's going on, right? When you stand, when we read the word, that's what that means. That means they have to stand in agreement. And I put some names of God up there so you can see what words exactly they're using about God. You guys see the Yahweh piece. That's the... That's the word that they didn't even really say. So they would say other words because they felt that that name was too holy, right? Often you would hear Adonai or something else. But this is the words that they chose to call God. These are the words they chose to call God. I thought that would be helpful. So God should and will be exalted for eternity. They say blessed. They use the word blessed. And when it refers to God, blessed means praise. When it refers to us, it means like favor, right? So the Levites led the people to praise God. So they encouraged them. And it shouldn't surprise us that God puts up people to lead us. You know, sometimes when we, uh, when we, some of us who've been believers for a while, when we think about our walk, some of us feel like nobody should be leading me anymore in, in, in these things. Like I should already know how to do this. I should be doing uh, something else. And it might seem a little bit, a little bit weird that, you know, certain people are up here and leading you in, in, um, in praising God. But it is, it is right that God sets up leaders and God doesn't always set up the leader that you would think they would, that he would, right? And so God sets up leaders in place to guide us and we must live it out. You know, I've been at, I've been at churches in my life. Uh, at one point I was at a church where someone like Mark Job was the preacher every single week. And it was like, wow, that's Mark Job. And he's right there. And then, you know, he's preaching. He's dynamic, right? He's on the radio. I said, my, my pastor's on the radio. You know, things like that. Um, but, you know, even if Mark Job was on there and he was my, he was my preacher, him delivering it and guiding me, I still had a participation piece to do, right? 
I still had something that I needed to to do in terms of applying what God has shared through that person. And I want to let you all know that Nike has it right when they talk about just do it. But the church sometimes has it wrong because it seems like our motto is just hear it. Just hear it. And so I want to let you all know that no matter what speaker comes up here, no matter how much they fumble or why God chose this person or these people to guide me or guide us on any particular morning, whether they lack ability to connect things or speak clearly, whatever, whatever gets gleaned from the word, God does expect us to do it. Looking at verse 6, after encouraging them to praise, they give them a reason to praise. They give them a reason. These are really cool. They say God is the Lord alone, only God. This idea here is that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. You see, God's existence didn't come from anything else. It has no other source. The philosopher Thomas Aquinas, he has this idea, and it's been around for a while, but he has this idea that everything comes from something, right? You look at a building, you know there was a designer. You look at people, you know they had a pops and mom, things like that. But something had to have started everything. And whatever that something is, it must have not been started by anything. So God is what we call the first mover. He exists on his own, and from him comes everything else. God exists on his own. Isn't that amazing? He is self-existent. I know sometimes at at funerals we hear people say things like, uh, Something I heard a lot of times if you would say, well, well, God need God was lonely. So he took, you know, he took my auntie because he, you know, he needed her in heaven. And I know that that's soothing the people. And I get that. And you don't want to try to bust people out at a funeral because death can happen to you then. OK, but what you what you do know in your heart <laughs> is that God doesn't need anyone. Do you guys know before any of us were around before creation was around? The book of uh, the book of John, John seventeen five says, Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Guys, there was love and communication and relationship before we ever came along. God existed in that way. So tech, he doesn't need any of us. He didn't need someone to die to take care of him and help him in heaven. Revelations 4.11 tells us you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Everything comes from him, the self-existent one. Now, when we hear God being self-existent and that he had relationship before, that might make some of us become like self-deprecating, like, well, we don't mean anything. This actually should have the exact opposite You should actually have the exact opposite response. Imagine a God who needed nothing, who had no needs and exists all on his own perfectly, choosing to make you and have relationship with you. The grandness of his self-existence should make you feel special and unique and loved because he needed nothing but chose to make this happen. Isn't that amazing? So if anything, it should be meaningful. Because we are meaningful to a God who, doesn't, who has no needs, who exists perfectly on his own, who existed perfectly on his own. 
Another thing they bring out, a reason to praise, is that God is creator. Notice it says God created the heavens, the hosts, the earth, the seas, and he preserves them. You know, scientists still trying to figure out why certain things work and why they don't work all the time. And whatever they thought a 100 years ago, it changes, it changes, it changes, right? That's actually something that always happens in science. But we know that God actually preserves them. This system keeps working because God preserves it. The hosts of heaven worship God. Guys, think about everything that's not earth in a sense, you know, can be heaven, right? So you think about as you look up and you think about heaven, heaven, you think about the stars and the skies. I remember on a trip, we went to a place in South Dakota called the Badlands. Anyone been to the Badlands? You can raise your hand. All right, like four of you. Good job. Okay. So you drive through the Badlands before you get to Mount Rushmore. Okay. And the Badlands looks like a like a Star Wars movie in the desert, the desert scenes, okay? Anyway, the cool thing about the Badlands is it has, I think, number four or number six of the top ten uh, darkest skies. Darkest skies. And what I mean by that is there's so little light in the Badlands area that at night the stars and everything come to life. And so one day we were there and we sat down and then we laid down on our backs and we just looked up. All together, all like, you know, the weirdo, like six people, like all heads together, whatever. So then we looked up, and I promise you, we were down there for at least an hour just looking up, and you got tired of counting all the shooting stars and everything you saw. And it was just beautiful. And I remember that being a really big time of worship for us. Have any of you all had an opportunity to do that? You know, where you really look at the at the heavens and you think about how God created that, and it gives you... It gives you a reason to worship. And I remember as I think about reasons to worship and different postures and different things that I see uh, in church. I remember one time I went to a church service and this is when I was in college. So I was taking Bible courses over at Trinity and getting my education. And I remember going to one church service and I saw this lady just like just in hysterics, just crying and crying during the service. And I remember looking over at my mom and I was like, oh, this is. That's just so extra. That's what we used to say. That's just so extra. Like, come on now. Like, it was that bad, for real. Like, she acted like everybody died, right? I remember this, this is college me, real jerkish. Sorry, guys. So that's, that's what I'm saying. And then my mom said, you know, Carlito, you, you don't know why, you don't know why she's crying, right? So when we're in church, all of our acts of devotion, all the things we do, whether it's praying, standing, you know, some of us have different type of poses when we pray, when we sing. We don't know that person's story. We don't know what exactly God gave them as their reason to worship him. Amen. And so I want to let you all know, Matthew Henry has a great quote. He says, in all of our acts of devotion, in any of our acts of devotion, even the ones that aren't together when we come together, It says the goal, the aim is to give unto God the glory to his name. Anything we do, that's what it's supposed to be. Let's go back to Nehemiah verses 7 and 8. It reads, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. And made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, 
and the Girgashite, and you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Who, cho- who chose who? God chose Abram and made him Abraham. God initiated the relationship with Abram and gave him the name Abraham. This is important as they're thinking back. They're thinking about how God was self-existent and that he started this relationship with Abram. Abraham didn't have the idea in his head that he was going to leave Ur, that he was going to go to Haran and then eventually end up in the land of Canaan. That's not any that wasn't any of his idea. In fact, when he left Ur, the Bible tells us he didn't even know where he was going. He didn't even know where he was going, but he still went. You see, he was called by God. And only God knew what was in store for him. So we don't hear of him being righteous. We don't hear that he was a righteous man and that's why God even chose him. It just says that God chose him and God did it all. God, all the things that happened, all the promises, God did that for him. Hebrews 11.8 tells us, this is after God chose him, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And you guys know what it says uh, when it says he was called? That's one of those things in the Greek where it's a present participle. And what that means is that, uh, what that means is that as soon, in this case, as soon as he understood what was being asked of him, it's like he started packing. He just was already doing it. You know, when he was being called, he was already doing it. It was a, it, what, basically what I'm trying to get to. It's like an instant obedience. In the midst of hearing it, he's already doing it. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I remember one time I had a chance to preach from Abraham and I gave the idea of, uh, this idea of been gone faith, right? Been gone faith. And my mom, uh, she used to get a check. You know, she used to get a check. And I remember I always had plans for her check, right? I was like, well, I know the check coming on this day. Maybe I can get this, you know? So then I would talk to my mom and I said, hey, mom, you know, I was wondering if I could get, and I started naming what I wanted. And then my mom would say, well, that money, which hadn't been given or paid to us yet, she said, all that money been gone. I was like, what? As she was receiving it, it was already being spent. You guys get that? So as he was receiving the call, he was already gone. And that's how Abraham's faith uh, was characterized. Instant obedience. Now it may take, uh, it may have taken several days or even weeks or months to make final preparations for the trip, but in his mind, he was already, he was already going. He was already on the way. From then on, everything he did revolved around obeying God. Abraham was faithful. You see, God called him and made his covenant promises to him. And changed them from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many. And what did God do? God ends up doing everything he said he would do. Let's look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And I have it on here. And what I have colored is, I have colored the promises that God made to Abraham. So that's God's divine process. And then I have over here, underlined, Abraham's participation in God's process. And the reason why I want to highlight that, because that's the theme of our of Nehemiah, that God has a process of renewal that he's working. And the people that Nehemiah led were able to do their participation and do their peace in this. Let me read to us. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God, guys, showing complete sovereign grace. And he begins the story of what becomes the people of Israel. This is why these people, these people the, during Nehemiah's time, this is, that's why these people are talking about Abram, because this is their story. This is the story of how God had his people, separated the people for himself. If you ever need a cool Bible study, just look at all the covenants that the Old Testament talks about. Then, of course, it'll take you to the New Covenant. But think about the, just, think about, just do a study of all the Old Covenants. I'm going to mention them, but I'm not going to be able to go in depth, so I just want to, let, want to give you all that. First promise he gives him is he says, we're going to make you a great nation. And the Jewish people become a great nation. They receive the Promised Land, and this was fulfilled in the Mosaic Covenant. And one thing I wanted to ask you all, any of you all ever go to uh, the movies with a, with a Jebusite? Any of you all ever get coffee with a parasite? <laughs> you know, we don't hear about these other countries anymore. But do we hear about the Jewish nation? Do we hear about Israel? So he did make a great nation. Just want to let you all know that. And some of you all, if the answer was yes, you've been hanging out with a parasite, I don't mean to disrespect you. I just thought no one would have. Okay, but we probably have done something with someone of the (laughs) Jewish. Some of you all who last name Perez kind of, you know, (laughs) there's a couple. Another thing God promised him is that he would make Abraham's name great. You all know three of the major religions, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. They all revere who? They all revere Abraham. Isn't that amazing? God definitely made his name great. And you think about the Davidic covenant, God definitely made his name great. The world esteems Abraham. This is someone who lived so many years ago. God chose him. God did this. Other thing mentioned is here, another promise was that he said he would make it, all the world would be blessed, that he would be a great blessing. And the great blessing is that through Abraham, all people have been blessed. And we see this in all the covenants, but mostly we see it in what we call the new covenant. And the new covenant is that Jesus came. And through the line, Jesus came. And the whole world has received that blessing because of the birth of Jesus. So God spoke to Abraham. He initiated the relationship. God's grace coming down. Sovereign intention to save Abraham and Abraham was all God's doing. We never hear that Abraham was righteous or deserved it. But we do hear of a God who initiates faith and calls Abraham. You see, God had a divine process that he was going to do through Abraham. And Abraham had the opportunity to participate. And these people that Nehemiah is leading that are now having this work done. And they're, they just came from praying and from fasting. And from confessing sin, they're beginning to remember all that God has done. A clear picture is forming in their head. And in the end of that, the, these verses that we're just talking about right now, it says, you have performed your words. You know what they're saying to God? You promised this. You promised this land. You promised these promises. And you 
have brought us here. We're here now. Isn't that amazing? Your promise is indeed correct and true. And isn't that kind of all of our story? Isn't that kind of all of our story? That when we read the Bible, there are promises to the people that have relationship with him. And little by little, we start to see that you have performed your words. God does what he says he's going to do. You know? And some of the times, some of the things that he tells us in his word, like there's going to be persecution, there's going to be trouble. Some of y'all are like, yeah, he definitely performed those words. Yeah, I remember that. I deal with that. But all of his promises are yes and amen. We sing that song, don't we, right? Let's look at the last chunk. Verses 9 through 15. And it reads, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. They're going to continue talking about what God has done. And heard their cry at the Red Sea. And performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself. As it is to this day, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go into the go in to possess the land that you had sworn to them. So they come under slavery, but did God forget his people? Did he forget his promises? No, the Bible tells us that he saw their affliction. He saw what went on with the people. And, you know, I was doing a little bit of research, and I always wondered, like, maybe try to figure out why did God pick certain certain plagues, right? It seems like an odd kind of bunch. And just with a little research, and I guess this could be kind of anything, because the Egyptians had numerous and numerous gods. So God could attack any number of false gods that they have. But in here we see that every single one of the plagues attacked, attacked one of the Egyptian gods. So, you know, Egypt was such a great uh, civilization because it was built right, right alongside the Nile, a very, very long river, right? And so they had a god of the Nile, and God attacks that with a plague. Right. Turns that to blood. We also see that. He attacks them with frogs to deliver his people and the frogs in Egypt. There was a God who had a a frog head uh, that stood for fertility because, you know, being around a river, there were frogs everywhere. And so that was their God. God attacks that. What's another one? I don't have to name all of them. I think about the, the boils. This is one that went just to the Egyptian people. And they had a God they believed was the God of medicine. And God shows that he's superior to their God. And remember, the, there was a, a couple of the things that God did through Moses that the Egyptian people were able to do, but there were some that they were unable to do. A couple big ones. Darkness. The most important God in the Egyptian religion was Ra, the sun god. You think about their harvest, you think about the river, everything. 
They, they were plentiful. It was one of the greatest civilizations of all time. But God attacks that and creates darkness over the land. And then lastly, they believed that the Pharaoh was, was a god. And that he was like the ultimate god. But what does God do? He attacks the, he attacks the firstborn. And so God overwhelmingly shows his power against Egypt and saves and rescues his people. When they leave out of Egypt, was it all done? Do you guys remember the story? Was it done? No, right? As they're going, as they're going, God knows where he's doing. God knows where he's directing them. He led them during the day and night. Holistic coverage there, taking care of them. But God turned the heart of the Pharaoh and he comes, they come after them. They come after them. They let them go, but now they're coming after them. And then as they go, there's a huge obstacle. The obstacle is the Red Sea. Now there's a lot of people, a lot of people carrying babies. There's a big obstacle and you got an army coming from behind you. How many of you all saw the movie Prince of Egypt? Right? <laughs> like I saw it three times in Sunday school when they should have had a lesson. <laughs> anyway, okay. When I was a kid, not a good news. All right. You all know in Prince of Egypt, they do a really good job with that picture. I mean, scientifically, they may have exaggerated for a while. There's like a whale hanging out in it. I'm like, I don't know about that. But uh, it's like a whale jumping around in the water. But you see these, you see these two walls of water and the people walk along on, on dry land. Isn't that amazing? Guys, that really happened. And you know, there's always these weird things on the internet. People like, how to prove, like you can't really prove that. Like that's just a, that's just a miracle. Like it's not, there's no rational uh, idea behind that, you know. But the Bible tells us the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's what he told them in Exodus. So God worked powerfully on their behalf. He turned that obstacle and he saw an opportunity to show his power. And then what happens to the army? They start coming alongside in that. And then the walls come down and crash on them, destroying the most powerful army of that time. So God is a God of miracles. And Moses was asked to obey his voice and lead them. So God communicated with his people. He gave them direction. Not only did he save them, he also gave them the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are still seen throughout the world and throughout multiple cultures as a great standard for living. And a lot of our laws kind of all come from that. And a lot of other countries' laws kind of come from them. And he gave them a standard and a way to live through Moses. So God miraculously provided food for them and sustenance when they were in the desert. He gave them water to drink, and he also gave them his presence. And so these people with Nehemiah, they're remembering all this stuff. They're remembering all this stuff, and they're praising God for this. You could think about it, the people must have been amazed. You know, they must have been down and out for so long, not feeling like they had their city covered. And now they're there, and they're starting to remember what God has done, besides the current act that he just did with them. And I just want to let you all know that, that I don't want you all to ever forget what, what God has done. You know, don't ever forget what, what God has done. So let's, let's think about the attitude that these people had as they were remembering. And let's think about 
Every single one, every single person that's sitting here, every one of us as an individual. God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate process is going on and he's doing things for us. He initiated the relationship with us. Right. But what's our participation in that? And part of our participation in that is that we need to understand that God's current renewal of his people is connected to understanding how he has been at work to set aside a people for himself from the beginning. Part of you understanding what to do is to think about what God has already been doing. Even at what God has already been doing in Good News Bible Church over the many years or in Salem or on this block in this neighborhood. I want to let you all know whenever I tell somebody where Good News Bible Church is in the neighborhood, you know what they say? They say, that's not Good News Bible Church, that's Salem. And I don't take that as a disrespect. I take that as Salem has a name. They, 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 they built a name here. So I praise God for it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're Salem, but yeah, we got a different name. Yeah, yeah, it's Salem building. Yeah, yeah. And they, they know that. Okay. So I'm thinking that we should have the heart to be praising God for what he's done from the beginning. To remember who he is. To remember what he does for his people. And learn it to praise him and delight in them all. Do you guys ever have those moments where all that stuff kind of makes sense? Sometimes it's a worship song. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a video. Or sometimes it's someone encouraging you or praying for you. And it all kind of comes clear where you can almost all remember it all at once. What God has done for you, for your family, what he's done for his people. And that becomes very meaningful. And so just know that we, we definitely need to look back and remember as much as possible. Now let's think about this collectively. You know, God doesn't just work in individuals. He works in families and groups. You know, Kerwin was mentioning why do we gather? Why do we listen to sermons? Think about the singing that we do together here, the praying, uh, the remembering, the, the idea that we're a spiritual family, a chosen people. It just takes me back to the idea that I wasn't just saved from something. I'm saved to something. And being being here and having an opportunity to be part of a spiritual family is just an amazing thing. And let's not forget to appreciate that. I just want to end with something famous that you all already know and just want to kind of remix it a little bit. But you guys remember The Lion King. You probably watch it on Disney Plus every other day now that it's free for you, right? Or you don't want to pop the DVD in anymore. So in Lion King, Simba goes through some really tough times. And he lives life on the run, right? He gets away from it all. And then he tries to forget it all. No worries. He has this lifestyle that the world brags about and all the advertisements talk about, right? He's just kind of doing whatever. And he just forgot what was his real purpose. He's just hanging out with some cool dudes. Don't get me wrong. But wasn't doing what he was made for. But then at one point, you know, he gets confronted with the reality of what has gone on, the tragedies and the, and the heartbreak. And he gets some guidance from an older monkey. <laughs> he gets some guidance from someone who kind of knows the story. And he takes him to a place where he can see a reflection or he can really see clearly who he is or who he's supposed to be. And what does his dad tell him? And I'll tell you, you ask so many people, and Lion King's probably one of the most beloved, right? And what does his dad tell him? He tells him, remember who you are. 
You are my son and the one true king, one true king, excuse me. Remember who you are. And so what does that do to Simba when he finally remembers who he's supposed to be and what's his real purpose, right? He remembers, he thinks back, and then he's ignited. And I don't know if you all remember the scene. He starts running real fast. And then you got that music going. He's like, he's like going through generations at a time, making up for all that lost time. And then he leads them to victory, right? And so what I want to think about is, you know, God is our father. And God is telling us, because we forget a lot. He's telling us to remember all the stuff that he has done. And sometimes you can remember and just be like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But you have to remember that the self-existent one, the God who chose Abram and called him out, the God who rescued his people out of Egypt, that same God calls us his children. So he could say son, he could say daughter, he could say family. Remember who we are, remember our story, remember our narrative, remember our history, our culture, our people. And to remember that we're his child and part of a royal priesthood. Remember whose you are. Remember that we belong to God, the run true king. And just like these people were able to praise God for what all he had done and as they remember, I pray that our church will continually remember to praise God for all that he has done and what he will be doing. You know, here at Good News Bible Church, we're under transition. You know, the team's only been together a little bit. And I just want to let you all know that the, uh, the, our whole goal right now is to really be trained up as elders so that we have something to then disciple and train others in who then would do the same. But it does take a little bit of time. And the holidays are great, but they, they get in the way of what we want to work, 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 right? But I want to let you all know, and one thing that's really exciting already is that Something like our mosaics. We are going to be studying next the book of John. And the way it will go is we will be preaching something and then you would have the opportunity to, in a small group to then study the same thing. So we're talking about depth, true understanding. You know, sometimes I'm talking, I'm talking at you all. You might not get a chance to respond. Sometimes I can see it in your face and, you know, your nods and stuff, but you might have a chance to discuss, but we would have our small groups who leaders are being trained, and they already have gifting as well to do that. So I really feel like that's a really big win and a really big shift, that we can then have some depth and continue a depth throughout the week to do that. So I just want to challenge anyone who is not in a small group to go ahead and make that part of your week so that this sermons and, and, and while we gather, and then as you go about your week, you wouldn't forget, but you have opportunity to let it marinate a little bit more and let yourself seep, uh, steep in the word uh, much more. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewschive.org.